Uh, today we are concluding our series, Get Real, and uh, the message basically came out of the glut of reality television shows that are on, and uh, I'm trying my best, but Emily's just addicted to them, so I'm trying to help her get through those things. But uh, one thing that you learn about reality television shows is there's not a whole lot of reality in them. Now, we've gone through uh, quite a few of these, but the last one today is we are looking at Pawn Stars. Now, if you are familiar with the show Pawn Stars, you know it's one of the more popular shows on the Discovery Channel. But I, I really like the show. It's, just in, it's an interesting thing. You see these guys, they have, you know, they have items that they think are valuable, and they'll bring them into the pawn shop. And the, the guys behind the counter, their job is to look at the items that are brought in and try to determine, are these items, are they valuable? You know, are they worth anything? And, and some of them are interesting. I remember uh, a while ago I was watching one of the shows and there was a guy who came in and he had a really old violin. And he was excited about it because he had gone up into his attic and it was his grandfather's place and he found this violin and he began to dust it off and when he looked at it he saw that there was a marking on it that said Stradivarius. Now that obviously uh, is worth something. And so he cleaned it up, and he took it to the pawn shop. He was thinking, I am going to, I'm going to make some money today. And so when he went there, it was on the show, and they looked at it, and they were, they were impressed. They were like, you know, we need to bring in an expert to look at this to give it a proper valuation. And so the expert came in, and he's looking at it, and he looks up, and then he says the worst thing that can be said. He said, I hate to break the news to you. He said, this is actually, he said, it's actually just a replication. It's a good one. He said, but it was made in the early 1900s, and it's only worth about five to $600. Now, as you can imagine, the guy was crestfallen. He's very disappointed. And then the expert told him this. He said, listen, you need to understand that just because something has a label on it doesn't mean that it's real. And I thought concerning matters of faith, I think there are a lot of people, when they look at Christianity, they tend to think the same thing. There are some people who say, you know, just because it has that label on it, it doesn't mean that it's real. Uh, Karl Marx had this to say about religion. He said, religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, the soul of the soulless condition. Religion, it is the opium of the people. Christopher Hitchens, who is the late British author, wrote a book called God is Not Great. He was an atheist. And he had a chapter in his book that said how religion poisons everything. Now, I say that because there's a lot of people who say, hey, listen, I know it's got the label, but just because it has a label doesn't mean that it's true. And there are many people who believe the same thing about Christianity, uh, even to this day. I mean, there are people who say, if you... If you look at religion and you follow after Jesus, you're just using religion as a crutch. You know, it's a pie-in-the-sky kind of a thing. It's not reality. And so that is the, really the question for us today. What we've got to figure out is Christianity, is it something that is real? Is it something that's worth us investing our lives in? And so we're going to be looking today, if you have your Bible, we're going to look in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And, and John is sharing with us, basically in these four verses, the realness, the legitimacy of our faith. And, and we're going to see him sharing with us some just real simple ways that we can know that our faith is something that is legitimate. 
Now, I know there's some things that can be forged and faked, but when it comes to our faith, there are some clues given to us in the Bible that show evidences of Jesus, who he is, and why he can be trusted. Now, before we get into 1 John chapter 1, I want to share with you just a little bit of kind of background information about why John wrote this letter. Now, John was a disciple of Jesus. He had lived with Jesus, he knew him well, and he had taught and preached about Jesus. Now, there were some guys that were going around teaching things that weren't true about Jesus. And there was a, just sort of, I guess, sort of a, a, a sect known as the Gnostics. Uh, these were people who were teaching that, you know, Jesus was a good guy. I mean, you know, he, he lived, but he was not the Son of God. They, they didn't put a whole lot of value on Jesus. They thought a lot of the stuff about him was made up. And they said, really, the key to being able to have a relationship with God, it comes down to having this, like, secret knowledge. To having a secret knowledge so that you can find your path to God. And so that caused some people to be confused. Uh, some of the Christians were confused because they thought that Jesus was like the center point or the, the access point to God. And now there's people coming along saying, well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, there's a secret kind of secret of knowledge that you can get. And if you get it, then you're going to be able to, to live forever. And so the people were confused, so John wanted to clear this up. And in 1 John 2.22, he's very clear about Jesus. John said, who is the liar but the person who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So how can we know that what John says about Jesus is right? You know, how can we know that what John says about who Jesus is and what Jesus did, that that is something that is legitimate? Well, John today is going to point out to us several different evidences that show us some interesting facts about Jesus that hopefully is going to encourage you. And the very first piece of evidence that we have about Jesus is this. Jesus has been revealed. Jesus is not some little secret that's hiding behind a curtain and we have to go look for him and try to dig him up and go, oh, that's what he looks like. Uh, John said Jesus was a very real person and he was revealed to us. In verse number one, listen to what John says about Jesus. He says, what was from the beginning... What we have heard, talking about Jesus, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, it's another name for Jesus, that life, he says, was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Now we all like a good story. And the stories that inspire us and motivate us, the ones that really make an impact on our lives, are the ones that we know are true. Well, some people saw the story of Jesus as being a fairy tale. Like, hey, it's a great story, but it's really not going to change anything about me because that's, it's, not, it's mythical. I mean, the whole idea that Jesus was the Son of God, you know, that he's the Messiah, the Anointed One, that he's one who came and healed people, that's just a little bit too much. I mean, that's more like a fairy tale than anything else. And so what happened is the, these false teachers, the Gnostics, they, they de-emphasized the value of Jesus. They didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They didn't believe that it was important for anybody to, you know, really repent of their sins. What was important was to know that Jesus came in order to, to share a secret knowledge so that we could discover the God within ourselves. And so John, basically, as you read through 1 John, here's... 
here is, it's summarized in really one word about what he thought about this. It's hogwash. It's absolutely not true. And here's what John said in verse number two about Jesus. He said, that life, the life of Jesus, it has been revealed. Gnosticism said there's a secret way to God. John said he's been revealed. That word revealed, it means to see clearly. Jesus did not, he's not, he was not some big mystery where he was trying to be secretive about his identity and who he was. Jesus was on full display before the entire world. That's why John said, if you go back to verse number one, listen to what John says about Jesus and what in his message. He said, we heard it, saw it with my own eyes, I observed it, I touched it. John had been with Jesus three years, day and night. He knew Jesus. He knew his message. This book was not written 400 years after the life of Jesus where he was making up stuff. I mean, John, as you go through John, John talks about Jesus. He said, Jesus healed people. He said, I saw a guy that was blind. Jesus touched him, and he could see. That's pretty significant. Now, he, he writes a story about there was a man who was a paralytic, Jesus walks over, he touches him, the guy gets up and walks. He's writing all this stuff, and, and it would have been very easy to contradict what John said if you lived during this day. And Jesus didn't do that. He didn't perform any miracles. Jesus, John said that Jesus died and he rose from the grave. I mean, if you, if you didn't believe that, there would have been people who would have come out and said, he didn't come back to life again. If you don't believe me, let's go. we can go look at his grave right now. We can dig up his grave and take a look at a pile of bones. But that did not happen. Why? Because Jesus had been revealed. And everything said about him happened. You can read in the scripture about how many people saw Jesus after he died. Or after he rose from the grave. In, in 1 Corinthians 15, 5-8, it says Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. He appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. And he said and most of them are still alive. As if you don't believe me, then you go talk to those people. So, but some have fallen asleep or died, and then he appeared to James, then all to, to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. Okay, so here's the question. Do, do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to know what he's really all about? It, it's like anything else. If you want to know someone, one thing that you have to do is you have to spend time with them. If you want to know Jesus, if I want to know Jesus, one thing that's important for me to do is to look into this book and read and find out what God's Word has to say about Jesus. Now, there's, one thing you'll discover is that there's going to be a lot of people who say a lot of things about Jesus, but when you look in the Bible, you don't find it anywhere in here. Now, that's why it's important we know what this book says. Now, there are some people who will say, well, I really don't believe in Jesus because, you know, that book you're pointing to right now, it's got a lot of errors in it anyway. Okay, now when people say stuff like that to me, and I, because I'm curious, because I am, sometimes I have to be careful not to be a smart aleck, but I'm like, there's errors in it. Would you point out where they are? And what I've discovered is a lot of times people, they, they have never read the Bible. It's just sort of, sort of something that they say. And if they, there are errors, if they point out some errors in the Bible, guys, most of the stuff that's pointed out, the stuff that is pointed out, they're not errors at all. It's just there's a misunderstanding and interpretation. And, 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 and let me, I can spend a lot of time on this, but if you're interested in reading more about you know, about the truth of, of our faith and what Scripture says, I'll, I'll, let me mention a couple books to you. So if, you, if you're interested in this stuff, you need to grab your pencil and start writing. 
The Case for Christ. It's a great book. Uh, another book is called the, the Handbook for Christian Apologetics. Okay, so that's just a little, that's a little extra stuff. That was not a part of my sermon. But if you're interested in finding out about, hey, is, is the Bible true? Those are two great books to look at. But listen, here's what I want to, I want to share with you. Jesus is an open book. He is very clear about who he is. The question is, will you take the time to get to know him? And then I say, why is that important? Well, let me share with you, I guess, like an illustration or example. Um, if you live over on this side of Blythewood, you know that every early in the mornings, early or like 4 o'clock in the morning, there is a train that runs over there. Y'all heard that train before? If you've lived there long enough, it's, you're, just, you're used to it now. But that train is, you know, it's, it's really loud. Now, trains are, trains are powerful. Uh, some trains, that they can be two miles in length. And they can carry a ton of cargo from, you know, from South Carolina, uh, go all the way up to New York. Some trains will run out west. They can go all the way across the country. Very powerful machines. As long as they are running on the tracks. But if you take that two-mile-long locomotive and you take it off of the tracks and then you fire that thing up, you know how far it'll go? It won't go one inch. It won't be able to budge. Why? Because you have taken it off of the track on which it was meant to run. Because our lives were meant to run on the track of God's path and direction. But whenever we misidentify Jesus and refuse to believe or seek after Jesus, our lives have been taken off of the track. And when that happens, we are not going to experience the power of Jesus in our lives. That's why it's important that we accurately identify who Jesus is. And so John points this out. So there's an evidence of who Jesus is. He says, listen, Jesus has been revealed. Jesus is the most written about human being in all of history. There is no doubt that he lived. Now here's another piece of evidence that John shares with us today about Jesus. And that is this. Jesus not only has been revealed, but Jesus can be experienced. Not just somebody that's talked about. He's somebody that you can experience. Verse number two. That's what happened to John. He said this life was revealed. He said we've seen it. We testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. Don't you like it whenever you get that, get that email? I'm assuming most of you have received the same email I have about the guy from, have y'all got the email from the guy from the Ivory Coast? The Ivory, I'm worried about that guy. Sends out this email, he's got a relative who's, you know, who's died, he's left an inheritance of like $4 million, but if you will help him out, then he'll give you 15% of that $4 million. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I mean, I'm thinking, that ain't a bad deal. But you, but you know what happens when I get that email? You know what I do with that email? Delete. And then I, I mark it as junk mail. Now, you know why I do that? Because I know it's not real. And it looks good on paper. But what, really what's happening is that guy's just simply trying to swindle me. Now, there are some people who think the Bible is like that email. It's good news, but it is too good to be true, and so we just press delete, and we mark it as junk mail, and we're not going to look at it anymore. You know, if you're going to follow Jesus, it means you're checking your brain at the door. And, and in some senses, I, I understand the thought process, because Jesus does seem like, in many ways, a mythological character. 
I mean, look at some of the stuff. The very first miracle of Jesus, what was it? Y'all remember? Water into, okay, as Baptists, water into grape juice. Okay, so he turned water into grape juice. Okay, then another miracle. Five loaves of bread, two fish, and he feeds fifteen to 20,000 people with it. Uh, there's a big storm, disciples on a boat, the disciples look out, and who is coming to them walking on water? It's Jesus. I mean, you look at that stuff, and you're like, that is, that is like a comic book character. It's like a story that's like just too good to be true. But then John writes, he has been revealed. Now, th this stuff is not just stuff that's been made up. He said it is stuff that has happened. That's why John said we have seen him, we have heard him, we have touched him. He was a real person. He's not a myth. He's real. After Jesus died and rose from the grave, the disciples saw him, and it, as you can imagine, it absolutely blew their minds. So what does Jesus do? He proves himself to them. In Luke 24, it says, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? He said, Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. So touch me and see, a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And we said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still didn't believe, because of joy and amazement, he said, do you have anything to eat here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. He was saying, I'm real. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so, so what's so important about all this stuff? It's real simple. John is saying that not only has Jesus been revealed, he said, you can experience him. You can feel him moving in your life. You can see his hand directing you. John said, I touched the man. I know that he's real. Now, we all know some things in theory, but when you experience something, it becomes different, doesn't it? You know, theory's one thing, but experience is another. Let me give you an example. For years, I've watched, on, on TV, I've watched this golf tournament called the Heritage every year, right? Y'all know that tournament? Y'all ever seen that golf course before? You know, it's the one with the, the um, oh, what is it, the light tower? Is that right? And it's a red and white and so then, say, I've watched that tournament. I said, that's a, a neat-looking tournament. It's pretty. It's pretty down there. Okay, so that's, that's what I, I know that in theory. I've watched it. Let me tell you what I did this week. Y'all see this cool shirt I'm wearing? I picked it out myself. Uh, this shirt right here is from, from Harbor Town Golf Links. This week, my dad hooked me up to go down there and play it. How cool is that? Okay, so now I know stuff. And now some, somebody came up to me, and I hate people like this. What did you shoot? Hey, listen, man, that's not the important thing. <laughs> the important thing is I played there, did you? Okay, so it's just really fun. And so, uh, so, but it's now, when I watch that tournament, did you know, I've known it in theory, but when I watch that tournament next time, it's going to be different. Now, why is it going to be different? I experienced it. I'm going to look at that hole and go, I, mean, I can't believe he made that shot. I can't believe he actually made a bogey. I actually, I actually parred that hole. I mean, so it's just different. You know, I'm going to watch it. It's going to be different because I've experienced it. Now, that's what John was saying about Jesus here. He's saying, you know stuff in theory. He said, but I know more because I have experienced following Jesus. And he said, when you experience him, he changes your life. It's a different thing than just him on paper. 
That's what Jesus said in John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there's some evidences of Jesus. He said he's been revealed, he can be experienced, and it's the last one. He can be shared. See, whenever John experienced Jesus, the next natural thing for him to do is, man, I want to share him. Verse 3 and 4, he says, what we've seen and heard, he says, we will, or we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. You know, whenever you, whenever you experience something good, what do you want to do? You want to tell somebody else about it, right? You, you want to share it. That is a natural thing to do. A couple of weeks ago, one of our men's Bible studies was up at the office, and I, I butted in on their meeting. I sat down, and, and they were talking, and, and one of the guys was getting ready to travel to Kansas City. And we have a guy in that group that is from that area, and he said, when you go there, he said, there's a restaurant there that you've got to eat at. I don't remember the name of it, Brian. What is it? Okay, I didn't understand him, but y'all heard him. And so, uh, but he said, he said, as a matter of fact, when he mentioned that, he said, it's so good, I dream about eating there. Okay, now I thought, I want to eat there. And so he told the guy about it, the guy went there, he ate there, and he said, man, it was unbelievable. Now, the reason why Brian shared that with him is because he had an experience there. And it was so good, he, when that guy was going there, he wanted him to go there so that he could have the same experience that he did. So that's what John's doing here. John said, I've experienced Jesus, it was so good. I want to tell you about it. Now, I think sometimes we get intimidated about talking about our faith because we live in this politically correct culture that says when it comes to matters of faith, keep your mouth shut. Guys, let me tell you something. If you experience Jesus, it's good. And when you experience something good, you share it. That's natural. Now, you say, why, why would I want to share it? So that somebody can experience what you have. But not only that, it's so that people can experience, he says, you get experience or you have, you have fellowship with God when you experience Jesus. You have fellowship. That word fellowship, it basically, it's, it's like connecting. You have a connection with God. Yeah, I, I believe people are hungry to connect with God today. I, I really do. I know that, you know, as you read stats and you watch the news, it is, it is so, it gets depressing just to even take a look at all that stuff. But there is a spiritual hunger. I believe this. There's a spiritual hunger like never before. Because we just don't know what we're looking for. But people are hungry to connect. You know how they're going to connect? When we are willing to share our experiences. Now, I, I've told you all before that one of the greatest pressing problems in our country today is loneliness. People are lonely. And so they want to connect. Now, which is kind of strange, because you think we live in a world today where it is easier to connect than at, than at any other time in history. I mean, if, you've got, if you have an iPhone, you've got FaceTime, you can talk to people across the world and look at them and talk to them. You can text, you can do social media, all that stuff. And yet, even though we have all that technology, people are lonely. What's going on? People are more connected now to their devices than to people. It is, and it's, it's strange. I, mean, I, I shared, I think I mentioned it last week, but 
Will Bonneville in our church, he said, next time you go to the river, I went down to the river, so he said, you've got to pay attention to how many people are playing Pokemon Go. Now, I told y'all last week, it's not evil, I'm not saying it's evil, but it's weird. So I went downtown, and I'm, I'd go down there, my son and I go down, we like to fish downtown, so we're down downtown fishing, and, and I'm, he goes, look around, so I'm looking around. I'm not lying, hundreds of people with their phones out at the river like this, just walking around, there's all this beauty around them, and they are glued into their phones, because they're look, apparently there is a, an obscure Pokemon guy that's down there. And now I'm looking around, and y'all, it was, I'm, we live in a virtual reality world that is becoming more and more filled with zombies. And what we are doing is we are so hungry for connection that we're seeking it in stuff that ain't real. John said, I want you to connect with the God who made everything. The God who lives and breathes and who transforms lives. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life. Not virtual, but that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And in verse number four, he says that he brings you joy. You know, joy is a is, an, is something that is, deals with the inner peace that has nothing to do with circumstances. It is a place of contentment and hope, regardless of what's happening around us. I, I read a, a, a letter that was written by a third century man before he died. He wrote to a friend. He said, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. This is in the third century. Bad world, incredibly bad world. He said, but I've discovered in the midst of it a quiet and a holy people. Who have learned a great secret. So they have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our simple life. They are despised, they are persecuted, but they care not. He said they are masters of their soul, they have overcome the world. These people are the Christians. And he said, and I'm happy to say, I am one of them. Christians, our hope is Jesus. And as we live in this world, there are storms. Yeah, right? We know that. There's storms that come in life. Now, if you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that he is going to deliver you from every storm, but it does mean that he will walk with you through every storm. So we got good news to share. You say, well, how do you know that's true? Because I've experienced it. You see, he's, Jesus isn't just something to talk about. He is one to experience. And when you experience him, he will transform your life. Okay, back to the title. It's called Pawn Stars. So what's the job of a, of a, a pawn shop? It's to, the, to determine if something is legitimate or not. To determine if it's something I'm worth investing in or not. So that's the question for us. What about faith in Jesus? What about following him? Is it worth it? You're going to invest or not? Now, John shares with us some evidences of Jesus and who he is. He said, we see the evidence of Jesus because he's been revealed, because he can be experienced, and he can be shared. Now, it's up to us now to determine, are we going to buy? Are we going to put in and say, I will take that, there is value there? That is a choice that we have to make. So the question is, what are you going to do? Now, if you desire to buy in, that can happen. 
And it can happen by you just simply talking to God in prayer. And saying, Lord, today, I'm buying in. I'm not just, uh, you know, I've known about you my whole life, but now I'm going to give you my life. 